Marijuana Nation. Hey, this is great. Yeah. We love it. Hey. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and tokens, and non-toking lovers of liberty. Great to have you here. It is Tuesday, January 12th, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. What an amazing show we have for you today. Before we get into today's show, though, I want to make a quick announcement. Uh, I'll be appearing at the International Cannabis Business Conference over Halloween, over Valentine's weekend. I'm not planning that far ahead. Valentine's weekend, just coming up in uh, about a month, the International Cannabis Business Expo, uh, International Cannabis Business Conference, I should say, is going to be at the uh, Hyatt Regency in San Francisco, California, and Today, they just announced their headline speaker, so excited to get to cover this, former U.S. Surgeon General Joycelyn Elders will be at the International Cannabis Business Conference. I will be there bringing you live coverage and interviews, and keep your fingers crossed, I might be interviewing Joycelyn Elders. That'll be so much fun. Looking forward to that. Follow me online at Radical Russ on all the social media, and I'll give you the updates as to when those interviews happen. Coming up on today's show, all sorts of great stuff to cover here for you. In our interview segment, we're going to replay an interview we did with John Hudak from the Brookings Institute on medical marijuana research. And then as we move into the radical rant segment at the end of the show, more on the Sean Parker adult use of marijuana initiative. Jacob Solom out at Reason has uh, leveled some criticisms against the uh, the measure, and I'll discuss those in the radical rant entitled So now we're complaining the Sean Parker initiative is too long. (laughs) Interesting ways that we measure these initiatives. Also coming up on the show today in our drug war data mines, we're going to talk about how marijuana is the gateway to harm reduction. Seems our presidential candidates out there, at least some of them, still believe in that old gateway drug myth about marijuana use. We're going to debunk that and uh, tell you which one of those candidates still believe that reefer madness. Also on the show today in behind the headlines, uh, a look at how big drug testing uh, gets away with all sorts of shenanigans. Uh, we're taking a look today at a company called Millennium Health. They're one of the nation's largest drug testing companies. And we'll tell you how late last year, They managed to get away with about a billion dollars and were bilking Medicare at the time they were getting away with that. So there's been a settlement in the case and there's some unhappy creditors uh, of Millennium Health. We'll tell you all about that in Behind the Headlines. But coming up next, right after this first break, we've got the Cannabis Radio News and news today about legal states. we got two stories about Washington State, two stories about my home state of Oregon, and a story coming out of Alaska, Fairbanks, Alaska, to be precise. And then in hour two, Toker Talk Radio will talk a little bit more and open the phone lines up at 971-533-7111. We're going to take a look at the Beehive State, the state of Utah and a mom with a terrible pain syndrome who's fighting for medical marijuana there. We've also got a story on whether or not marijuana legalization will get derailed in 2016 by the federal government. Could depend on who gets elected president. Also, we'll talk about David Bowie, who passed away on Sunday. I'll give you a look at his connections to cannabis from the 60s, the 70s, and even just a couple of years ago. It's all coming up here on the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. 
Also, make sure to check out my regular articles on HighTimes.com, MarijuanaPolitics.com, and CannabisCulture.com. We're back with the news right after these messages. Make sure you support our sponsors. Keep Cannabis Radio on the air. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement. He went to public schools, then college, where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq war, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges. People are sick and tired of establishment politics, and they want real change. Bernie Sanders, husband, father, grandfather, an honest leader, building a movement with you to give us a future to believe in. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. Despite strong public support for medical cannabis, decriminalization, and legalization in Georgia, the state spends $121 million every year to arrest, prosecute, and imprison Georgians for simple possession. Each year, the state of Georgia spends less on driver services, agriculture, and forestry combined. What else can $121 million a year do in Georgia? With that much money, the state could hire and keep 3,000 more teachers, improve roads and bridges, provide tax relief for small businesses, repair aging sewage systems, or lower taxes. But right now, that's millions of dollars of your tax money wasted on failed enforcement. Tell your representative you're tired of wasteful spending and ask them to end the cannabis prohibition. Join the conversation at www.peachtreenormal.org. Peachtree Normal is a proud affiliate of Normal, the national organization for the reform of marijuana laws. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Tuesday, January 12, 2016. 
Less information about Washington's legal marijuana businesses would be available to the public under a new bill in the legislature. Senate Bill 6207, introduced by Lacenta Republican Ann Rivers and Linwood Democrat Marco Leas on Tuesday, would exempt financial, commercial operations, and security-related information from public disclosure requirements. Pot businesses must provide such information to obtain licenses from the State Liquor and Cannabis Board. Among the restricted information would be details of marijuana product ownership, locations, contact information, and shipments of product. The records could still be provided to state and federal law enforcement agencies. The Washington Cannabis Association, which represents licensed marijuana growers, processors, and retailers, is pushing for the legislation. It says the measure would protect the safety and privacy of those involved in the business. Pot shops are coming to more Seattle neighborhoods. The city council voted Monday to shrink the buffer zones that had separated legal marijuana businesses from places like parks and child care centers. When Washington voters approved recreational marijuana in 2012, the state law required a 1,000-foot buffer. Last year, as it worked to merge the recreational and medical marijuana systems, the legislature allowed cities to reduce buffer zones to as little as 100 feet, except around playgrounds and schools. On Monday, the city council unanimously set buffer zones for producers and processors at 250 feet. For retailers, the new buffer will be 250 feet downtown and 500 feet elsewhere in the city. No more than two pot businesses can be within 1,000 feet of each other. Supporters said loosening the buffer zones will help the state's legal marijuana system succeed by competing with the illicit market and make it more available to visitors. Just days into the license application process, the Oregon Liquor Control Commission has received 282 applications as of Monday morning from producers, processors, retailers, wholesalers, and even research facilities. About half are for applications from growers who will see their licenses processed soonest because they're at the top of the supply chain, says Mark Pettinger, OLCC spokesman. Of the total applications received so far, at least 48 are in Multnomah County, 28 in Clackamas County, and 20 in Washington County. As early as this week, Pettinger says OLCC staff will start combing through the license applications and start to process them. The agency expects to receive at least 1,200 applications and issue about 850 licenses this year. OLCC's workshops for prospective applicants around the state in the past year attracted 4,000 people. On January 4th, the OLCC began accepting licenses online for new commercial recreational marijuana retailers. Oregon on Monday issued a list of more than 250 pesticides cannabis growers may be able to use on their crops. The list represents the first clear guidance from Oregon agriculture officials on what chemicals the state's marijuana industry may use to defeat mites, mold, mildew, and other common pests and problems. Top state agriculture officials made it clear that the list is a starting spot for marijuana growers who still have to follow pesticide labels. Lauren Henderson, assistant director of the agency, said regulators comb through more than 12,000 pesticides registered with the state to see which had labels broad enough to include cannabis. Ultimately, the agency came up with about 250 products. The list will be reviewed quarterly, said Henderson. No pesticides list marijuana on their labels, leaving it to states such as Oregon, Washington, and Colorado to craft their own policies. Proposed legislation at the city of Fairbanks would make the Higher Calling, a private cannabis club at 310 First Avenue, an illegal facility. If the ordinance is approved, the operator of Fairbanks, Alaska's first private pot club could face a misdemeanor charge and a civil fine of $1,000 per day. 
Councilman David Pruse, sponsor of Ordinance Number 6002, says he thinks the facility is illegal under state law, which prohibits using marijuana in public. Members pay $10 per day or $25 per month fee to consume marijuana at the Higher Calling, which has a state and city business license. Pruse said he supports state licensed consumption rooms attached to retail marijuana stores, which the State Marijuana Control Board has decided to allow when it begins issuing licenses later this year, but he thinks standalone pot clubs are outside the law. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Tuesday, January 12, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your Cannabis 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPAs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. <laughs> what the hell are we paying you for? Are you stupid? Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norman. And I smoke pot, and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORMAL. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, more flavor. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today we're taking a look at a story that's unfolded over the past three months or so with a company called Millennium Health. And it illustrates in very bold fashion just how intertwined this war on certain American citizens using non-pharmaceutical, non-alcoholic, tobacco-free drugs is with the corporations, with the 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 selling of addiction for profit. And there's a lot of ways this manifests itself. Prison guards unions and uh, rehabs and police unions all supporting the continued marijuana prohibition. But let's not forget about big drug testing. There's an entire industry out there involved in collecting RP and testing it for marijuana metabolites that could never stay in business if they had to only test for illicit drugs. We all know marijuana stays in the system the longest, and it's the drug most people are likely to be using. So this story caught my eye when it was announced that the attorney general in the state of Kentucky uh, uh, announced that there would be a $945,114 windfall that they're receiving from the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice entered into a court settlement with Millennium Health. They're one of the largest urine drug testing labs in the U.S. Uh, 
because they were defrauding Medicare. Uh, so Kentucky's going to get about a million bucks. Washington State's getting $426,000. Arkansas is getting 121000 Even Idaho's getting $41,000 out of this settlement. And those are just four of the 49 states and the District of Columbia. I don't know which state wasn't a part of it, but 49 states and D.C. that are part of this lawsuit that was brought by some whistleblowers against Millennium Health. And the lawsuits contended that the company violated something called the False Claims Act. It has to do with Medicare and how you're billing Medicare. And what they did is they were convincing doctors to bill Medicare for medically unnecessary urine drug tests and for unnecessary genetic testing as well. The whistleblowers themselves are going to receive $32 million out of this settlement. It was alleged that this company, Millennium Health, also violated the Stark Law and the anti-kickback statute by providing urine drug test cups to doctors for free on the condition that they use them for referring more urine drug tests to the laboratory. U.S. Attorney Carmen Ortiz of the District of Massachusetts said in a DOJ press release, quote, Millennium allegedly promoted indiscriminate and unnecessary testing that increased medical costs without serving patients' real medical needs. A laboratory that promotes and knowingly conducts medically unnecessary drug testing operates unlawfully and squanders our precious federal health care resources. End quote. So, Millennium Health, big drug testing, bilking Medicare for drug tests that don't need to be done, What's their punishment? They settled. The settlement was $256 million. $256 million. Now, in response to that cost and other debts, Millennium Health filed for bankruptcy protection last November. Company owners asked the court to slash $1.15 billion in debt from its finances. The company owners also agreed to pony up $325 million of their own money to cover the settlement and working capital costs so long as they received legal immunity for their bil- for their bilking of Medicare. And as part of the settlement, of course, Millennium did not have to admit any wrongdoing. Millennium paid $50 million of the settlement to the government immediately so it could continue to bill Medicare then listed the remaining $206 million that it owed the Department of Justice as its largest debt in its bankruptcy. Another company, Voya Investment Management, protested the bankruptcy plan, arguing that it made a $1.8 billion loan to Millennium, and Millennium didn't disclose that it was being investigated by the Department of Justice at the time. Voya's attorneys argued that the bankruptcy plan would leave Millennium's owners with more than $1 billion in profits and leave Voya holding the bag. But the Delaware bankruptcy judge approved Millennium's restructuring plan three weeks ago, deciding that saving the drug testing company and its 1,200 jobs outweighed Voya's claim of being fleeced for over a billion dollars under false pretenses. So Millennium Health is back to processing urine drug tests and supporting anti-drug groups like the Partnership for Drug-Free Kids, and nobody in the leadership of the company lost their job, or faced any criminal consequences, or had to admit any fault in bilking the taxpayers. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. 
And this is not an outlier. This is not a crazy off-the-wall story. This kind of stuff, these kind of shenanigans go on all the time. It's just more corruption in this drug war that depends on marijuana consumers as the grist for the mill. We are a profit center for corporate America in so many ways, and that's why they don't like marijuana legalization. Get dot buzz. Dot buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. Dot buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. Dot buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. Dot buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names such as dot com, dot net, and dot org. Get your name now at get dot buzz. You're listening to Radical Russ on the Russ Belleville Show. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com. Helping Gondrepreneurs Grow. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Remember the gateway theory about marijuana? Well, it's still bullshit. In fact, marijuana is the gateway to harm reduction. We can go all the way back to 1999 for this one, when the Institute of Medicine, federal government, declared that, quote, there is no conclusive evidence that the drug effects of marijuana are causally linked to the subsequent abuse of other illicit drugs, end quote. The scientists found that while, quote, marijuana use typically precedes other illicit drug use, end quote, that's only because, quote, patterns in progression of drug use from adolescence to adulthood are strikingly regular, end quote. Marijuana is only considered the gateway because it's the first illegal drug most people try as, quote, most drug users begin with alcohol and nicotine before marijuana, end quote. In other words, tequila is not considered a gateway drug because nobody's also selling cocaine on the liquor store shelf. Marijuana is only a gateway in the sense that it is an illegal, the first illegal substance most people try. People try so many more substances before they usually try marijuana, and the people who try marijuana are very unlikely to move on to another substance. But that science hasn't made it to the ears of our politicians. 
Most recently, Democratic National Committee Chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz told the New York Times, quote, I don't oppose the use of medical marijuana. I just don't think we should legalize more mind-altering substances if we want to make it less likely that people travel down the path toward using drugs, end quote. Her anointed presidential candidate, uh, Hillary Clinton, um, expressed, yes, there she is, hand her the crown already. Uh, Hillary Clinton expressed how, quote, I think the feds should be attuned to the way marijuana is still used as a gateway drug. And then uh, Clinton's Democratic challenger, Martin O'Malley, agrees, saying that he was, quote, not much in favor, end quote, of legalizing marijuana because it could be, quote, a gateway to even more harmful behavior, end quote. The Republican side of the presidential race, of course, is full of gateway believers as well. Redundantly named New Jersey Governor Chris Christie told redundantly named radio host Hugh Hewitt that he'd, quote, crack down and not permit, end quote, marijuana legalization in the states because, quote, marijuana is a gateway drug. We have an enormous addiction problem in this country, end quote. And uh, former Florida Governor Jeb Bush told WBZ News Radio that, quote, marijuana is a gateway drug just as opiates are a gateway drug. Of course it is. Every study shows that, end quote. And a physician who ought to know better, Dr. Ben Carson, told Fox News that, quote, marijuana is what's known as a gateway drug. It tends to be a starter drug for people who move on to heavier-duty drugs, sometimes legal, sometimes illegal. End quote. He also opined that, quote, Regular exposure to marijuana in the developing brain has been demonstrated definitively to result in decreased IQ. End quote. Well, not only are these politicians wrong about marijuana leading to other harder drugs, they've got it completely backward. New research is showing that marijuana leads away from other harder drugs. Philippe Lucas and other researchers at the University of Victoria in Canada surveyed 473 adults who use medical marijuana. They found that 87% of them, that's 410 out of 473, substituted marijuana for harder drugs. Specifically, 80.3% switched from prescription drugs to marijuana, 51.7% dropped alcohol for marijuana, and 32.6% used marijuana to quit other illicit drugs. And obviously, the numbers add up to more than 100% because a person might be using marijuana to substitute for two or all three of those situations. But this information is no surprise. Back in 2009, Dr. Amanda Ryman and her colleagues at UC Berkeley surveyed 350 medical marijuana patients from the Berkeley Patients Group. They found that 66% had used cannabis as a substitute for prescription drugs, 40% as a substitute for alcohol, and 26% as a substitute for illicit drugs. So can somebody please fill the presidential candidates in on the fact that marijuana is not the gateway drug, it is the exit drug. 
and tell Dr. Carson that the latest research affirms that, quote, adolescent cannabis use is not associated with IQ or educational performance, and modest cannabis use in teenagers may have less cognitive impact than previously suggested, end quote. If we can get them to recognize that simple scientific fact, maybe next we can start educating them about how marijuana doesn't lead to stoned mayhem on the freeways. In fact, marijuana doesn't even mess up your ability to ride a bicycle. While politicians debate the need for a precise THC level to determine motor vehicle driving impairment, a study this week from Germany shows, quote, a defined THC concentration that leads to an inability to ride a bicycle cannot be presented, end quote. Even the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration says that it is inadvisable to try to determine one's impairment from THC blood plasma alone. Someday, the science will catch up to the politics. We'll probably all be legal by then. We're back with John Hudak from the Brookings Institute right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Fingerboard Extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic, Hassan Dalton, Larrabee, Heritage and Recording King guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone, and Recording King banjos. The Fingerboard Extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis, Oregon, at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Supreme Court is wrong on the Second Amendment. Okay, maybe you're high, too. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. Activism begins with act. 
The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. All right, welcome back. For today's activist agenda, we are going to talk about research, specifically research on the medicinal uses of cannabis. And joining us to talk about that is John Hudak. He's a co-author of a paper for the Brookings Institute entitled Ending the U.S. Government's War on Medical Marijuana Research. John, welcome to the show. Hey, Russ. Thanks for having me back. Great to have you here. And uh, this war on medical marijuana a lot of people, I mean, they, they get it at the general level of it's dumb that the government doesn't really allow us to study mar- marijuana. And you can explain it to people that it's on Schedule 1, and so Schedule 1 drugs aren't studied. But can you tell our audience more in depth how marijuana is special even among the Schedule 1 drugs when it comes to research? Well, it- Everything you said is right, and and I think for most people, it's hard to even understand why marijuana is grouped with other Schedule One drugs in the first place. But then, like you said, it's treated differently. So, for instance, in order for a researcher in the United States to get research-grade marijuana, they can only get it from one source, one single farm at the University of Mississippi, where other Schedule One substances can be gotten from multiple outlets. And so that creates an extra institutional barrier that makes it harder for good faith researchers who want to study these questions just to get the product they need to do their work. So if I'm a researcher and I want to get some research grade LSD to find out if it helps alcoholics kick the bottle, that's easier for me to get a hold of than medical cannabis. Yeah, you have more options. You have more places that you can get it from. And for something like marijuana, it's even harder because marijuana is not a single substance. It's not something that's uniform. As all of your listeners know, and and you know well, the relative levels of THC to CBD in the product, the different strains, the different parts of such a diverse product like cannabis um, really requires not just multiple outlets to get that that product from, but outlets that are sensitive to the reality that it's a diverse plant and there are uh, are needs to look at it from all of those diverse angles. So uh, this restriction on research, I mean, a lot of it has to be based in those international treaties that require certain scheduled drugs to have certain regulations. So how does our research into medical cannabis stack up against other nations that are also signatories to these same treaties? I mean, we've got to be the only ones making it this hard. Am I am I incorrect in saying that? Yeah, you're pretty much incorrect in saying that. A lot of other countries are doing uh, much more research on on medical marijuana, on marijuana in general. The Drug Enforcement um, Administration uses the single conventions, the the UN treaty uh, that governs illegal or, or governs narcotics as their defense, as their justification for why they allow one DEA-mandated, NIDA-approved, Farm at the University of Mississippi to supply the uh, to supply the product, but the reality is that uh, other Schedule One substances have multiple producers. It's not inconsistent with the single conventions to license other universities, other facilities to produce this product for research. It's just a convenient explanation or a convenient ex- excuse for the government to use for stopping this type of research. 
Mm, that's a it's a shame. We're speaking with John Hudak, who's a co-author along with Grace Wallach uh, from Brookings Institution on ending the U.S. government's war on medical marijuana research. You can find this online at uh, brookings.edu. We'll post the link in our chat room. And uh, John, another thing about this research is people will understand that the schedule one designation says it has no medicinal value. It's got no safe use. It's a drug of abuse. And they'll argue, well, then all we need to do, lower that in the schedule, get it down to schedule two or schedule three and poof, everything's magically solved. Uh, Explain the difficulties in that line of thinking. Yeah. So, so that's a real challenge. There are definite benefits. If uh, you want to conduct more research on marijuana by changing its place in the drug schedules. That, that's for sure. But it doesn't solve all of the problems. It doesn't break down all of the barriers that exist to do this type of research. It's not going to magically legalize marijuana. It's not even going to force states that have chosen not to legalize medical marijuana to do so. Um, there are still burdens that exist, like in the study of any drugs. Um, the difference, of course, is that... Marijuana is being prescribed all across, well, not all across the United States, but in 23 states in the District of Columbia. What I think a lot of people don't realize is 149 million Americans live in those states. Mm. And the official government line that marijuana has no medical value is not one that has been fleshed out by the medical community or the pharmaceutical community or the research science community. That's a designation that has been made by the United States Congress. And frankly, there aren't many answers from the United States Congress I trust, and I certainly don't trust them on the medicinal value of any product. Uh, I'd rather a researcher and a scientist tell me that answer. Yeah, that one sounds like it came directly from the We Said So community. (laughs) That's That's about all we got there. Uh, another aspect of medical marijuana when we're talking at the federal level that is maddening for a lot of people is understanding that we have this compassionate investigative new drug program upon which there are still two federal patients, uh, Irv Rosenfeld and Elvie Musica out, Elvie's out here in Oregon, Irv's in Florida that are receiving tens of eight to nine ounces of that government marijuana every month. For medical purposes, they've never been surveyed on it. They've never studied how this affected the 28 or so that ended up on the program at some point. Uh, Why couldn't this compassionate investigative new drug program just be reintroduced or reemphasized for, say, these kids with epilepsy that are getting the CBD oil or the cancer patients in these medical marijuana states? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Grace and I talk about that program specifically in the paper, and it's important. That program is important for two purposes. One, it allows an administrative process, an institutional process in the federal government to get medical marijuana to people who the medical community believes it will help. But more important than that, it is an explicit endorsement by the federal government that there is some value to the use of this product in the treatment of certain conditions. And like you said, there are two patients currently using it. Historically, there have been other patients. uh, Many of them have, of course, died of the illnesses for which they were being treated. But it's, it's that endorsement. It is that inconsistency. This program cannot exist for a for a substance that is in Schedule 1. Why? Because the program explicitly says there's a medical value so we're giving it to medical patients. 
and they're saying it about a substance that Schedule One says has no medicinal value. So there's an inconsistency there in federal policy, like there is on a variety of drug policies, but this puts it into the clearest of light. And I think it's a wake-up call, not from the activist community, not from researchers who, you know, want to improve their CVs and in the, their record in, in, in conducting research, but it, it, it's actually a statement by the federal government that, you know, maybe there's some value here, and at least we should research it more. That sounds good to me. And looking at the polls, it sounds good to a lot of Americans. We're seeing statewide polls now approaching 90%, and even super majorities of older conservative Republicans in those polls in support for medical marijuana. So with that much uh, momentum behind this movement, what's it going to take to enact actual change? What, what recommendations could you make that would move this ball forward? Well, it, it's, it's hard to understand policymakers and politicians who don't respond to polling numbers like that. <laughs> like you said, in some places, 90% support for medical marijuana. Nationally, it's somewhere around 80%. And that's not just individuals clustered in liberal California and liberal states in New England. You have majority support for medical marijuana in the Bible Belt, in the most conservative of places, in the states that offered the lowest amount of support for President Obama in 2012, for states that have congressional delegations that don't even have a Democrat in sight, in, in congressional delegations where Democrats don't even try. In the most conservative parts of the United States, you still have majority support for medical marijuana. It's a no-brainer. But... For the policy-making community, for politicians to ca- catch up with public opinion, uh, that's that doesn't always happen with the right kind of timing. And so, frankly, at the end of the day, you need politicians with a little less cowardice and a little more responsiveness to a, a, a democratic system. I think we have some hints that politicians are uh, more responsive. I think when you hear even the most ardent drug warriors running for president, like Chris Christie, they're fine with medical marijuana. They're just concerned about recreational marijuana. And so you see hints of this, but what you don't see is action. What you don't see is a federal government committed to the expansion of research for a product that's being prescribed in states that have 149 million Americans living in them. And that's a real problem. Yes, and it's something that can't be ignored as we move forward in these elections. Ohio, in 11 days, is voting on a legalization proposal that would also uh, create a medical marijuana system. And then looking to 2016, Nevada is already on the ballot for legalization. California is likely to be in possibly three or four other states. Uh, Do you see a time coming soon uh, that this will be addressed and and we'll be making some move forward? I mean, politically, it it looks like it's uh, almost unstoppable. Yeah, I think this president has faced a situation in which he felt he had to address it, and he addressed it in a variety of ways. Of course, the most prominent ones being through the coal memos. But I think as more states come online with medical marijuana and recreational marijuana, the next president faces even more pressure, not just to give in to the public will, not just to deal with states that have sort of run rogue from the Controlled Substances Act, but to address this real inconsistency between federal and state law, and frankly, even inconsistency within federal law. One of my favorite anecdotes on this is 
if you travel down to 10th Street and Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C., on one side of the street you have the Department of Justice, the building from which James Cole issued his memos. And on the other side of the street you have the IRS. Well, the DOJ, the Department of Justice, says it's okay for marijuana enterprises to operate as long as they're consistent with the Cole memos. Across the street, the IRS considers those enterprises criminal entities. They're <laughs> drug traffickers. They can't operate legally. So you can have one bureaucrat look out his window at another bureaucrat across the street, and they can say very different things about the same cannabis enterprise. That's not good public policy. No matter what you think about marijuana, no matter what you think about legalization, that's bad public policy, and it's something that the next president really has to address. John Hudak, Ph.D., is a fellow at the Center for Effective Public Management and the managing editor of the FixGov blog there at the Brookings Institution. The paper's entitled, Ending the U.S. Government's War on Medical Marijuana Research. Lots of great information. The paper is free. You can get it online at brookings.edu. John, thanks for being back here on the show. Always a voice of reason in a storm of insanity. Russ, thanks for having me. All right. And that's all the time we got for today. Thanks for joining us, podcast listeners. Stay tuned, live listeners, for Hour 2 coming up next. For everyone here in beautiful, legal Potland, Oregon, I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. You know Herb Thrasher from the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Now get ready for Herb Age Designs for the proud cannabis consumer. Herb Age Designs, lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herbage Designs. We've got frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herbage Designs. We've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at HerbageDesigns.com. And follow Herbage and Herb Thrasher on Twitter. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. As it relates to my brother, there's one thing I know for sure. He kept us safe. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Tokers, there's no good reason to get your dog stoned. While it might not harm them physically, imagine being a dog who already begs for treats all day, and then imagine that dog having the munchies. Not cool. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make them. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. Today, we take another look at the Sean Parker Initiative, and I was... uh, Inspired for this rant by a piece written by Jacob Sullum out at Reason.com, it's called California's Version of Pot Protectionism. 
It opens up by noting how long the Adult Use of Marijuana Act is. It, it points out the Prop 19 back in 2010 was 3,000 words long, whereas the Sean Parker Initiative is more than 30,000 words long and asks the question, does that matter to voters? It's hard to say, according to Jacob, because I-502 in Washington was 20,000 words. Colorado's Amendment 64 was 3,700. Measure 91 in Oregon was 15,000 words, but Alaska's Measure 2 was 4,100. D.C.'s Initiative 71 uh, was 5,000 words long, but Ohio's Issue 3 was 6,600 words long. What the hell difference does it make how long an, a marijuana initiative is? I, some people are trying to argue that a shorter initiative is better because it doesn't try to do everything. It leaves some issues of regulation up to the state. That could be good. That could be bad. Uh, depends on how the state responds to it. But in the case of California, it's understandable why it is such a long initiative. Everything about California law is pretty complex. And with the state recently passing three bills that uh, bring regulation to its medical marijuana market, as well as the Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom blue ribbon super panel, whatever the hell it is, uh, that made uh, recommendations for how legalization should proceed. It's not surprising that the California Adult Use Act is 30,000 words long. As far as I'm concerned, how long an initiative is doesn't mean anything. It's what does the initiative do? What are the main points of the initiative? And this is where Jacob takes it a little deeper into the initiative and, and points out that there is this problem, at least from his perspective, with protectionism. Now, you ought to understand Jacob's writing for reason. This is a libertarian uh, website, libertarian think tank, right? So it's going to be very pro-business, very pro-free market. And the problem that they've got with the Adult Use of Marijuana Act is a five-year ban on growers cultivating more than 22,000 square foot indoors or more than an acre outdoors to allow small growers to establish themselves in the market. It also says large cultivators, those over 22,000 indoor, acre, outdoor, large cultivators will not be able to be distributors as well to avoid the creation or maintenance of unlawful monopoly power. And this is, you know, uh, Jacob's concerned about this, says this might be used as a cover for protecting entrenched interests in the marijuana movement, uh, specifically some of those large-scale growers or medical sellers out there who've been in business for almost two decades now. And yeah, that may be the case. This may be a, a bit of protectionism, but there's also some political realities involved here. Remember that the, the knock against Prop 19, the 3,000-word Prop 19, had to do with it being too cozy for the big-time players. It was too much of a monopoly for the big players, and it didn't let the small growers in on the market. There is going to be such a huge push from that small grower community that if the Adult Use Act maintained these large, unlimited-sized growers, 
and the market came to be dominated by a few of these large-scale corporate growers, that would be a huge negative in campaigning for Adult Use of Marijuana Act for people in California. That would turn off a lot of California voters. Now, uh, Jacob's also got a problem with the limits on marijuana advertising, saying they're anti-competitive by prohibiting any advertising on signs on highways that cross state lines or within a thousand feet of various locations where children gather. Uh, it also includes uh, any bans on ads that encourage people under 21 to consume marijuana and any symbols, language, music, gestures, cartoon characters, or other content elements known to appeal primarily to persons below the legal age of consumption. Uh, this is a question as to whether or not those speech restrictions are constitutional and it remains to be seen. Uh, we've seen the, uh, the authorities in Colorado try to put magazines like high times behind the counter, treat them like pornography. So kids couldn't see them. And that was declared. Un I don't know if it was declared unconstitutional, but it was an unconstitutional act that they backed off on. And I could see lawsuits in California regarding uh, this advertising, and it becomes a, a, a murkier situation in that now you're starting to see hard liquor ads. I don't I can't speak for California. I know here in Oregon, I'm seeing, you know, bullet whiskey ads and you know Jack Daniels ads on billboards uh, on major thoroughfares. And for me. I think if we're going to treat marijuana like alcohol, then let's actually do that. Anywhere that a beer ad or a liquor ad can play ought to be a place where a marijuana ad can play. Now, if you want to argue that the kids shouldn't be seeing marijuana ads all the time, I'll accept that argument if you're going to make that argument for the alcohol ads. But no, we're going to continue to have Super Bowls sponsored by Bud Light and college football bowl games sponsored by all sorts of alcohol producers. And we're going to continue to see that domination of beer and liquor ads on our TV, on our billboards, in our magazines. It's kind of interesting because the advertising for tobacco has been seriously declining of late. Uh, I... I came upon some old vintage magazines from the 60s and 70s at a thrift shop the other day and just marveled at all the cigarette ads that used to be in the magazines. But while we've declined in our cigarette advertising, we've ramped up our alcohol advertising. Our society needs to figure out what what is going to be our standard here. As far as I'm concerned, there ought not be advertising for any drugs. As I think it was Chris Rock once said, you don't need to sell drugs. Drugs sell themselves. There's no need for there to be advertising for cigarettes, for alcohol, for cannabis, or for that matter, any of the prescription drugs that we see advertising for on television. The United States and New Zealand are the only countries in the world, in the industrialized world, that allow for the advertising direct-to-consumer of pharmaceutical drugs. Every other country, the advertising for prescription drugs is limited to doctors and healthcare providers. What what a novel idea. Let's uh let's only uh advertise to the people who are trained to understand those drugs and are trusted to dispense them to the public. 
In America, though, we have ad after ad that says, ask your doctor about such and such. Well, look, if I'm asking my doctor for a drug, he's no longer a doctor, he's a dealer. So let's get it straight here, America. If we've got a problem with marijuana advertising, then we need to examine all drug advertising. Other considerations about the uh, Adult Use of Marijuana Act that uh, Jacob brings up in this Reason article uh, includes the problem of having a $500 fine and six months in jail for possessing more than an ounce or growing more than six plants at home. And the problem with this is something I always tell people when you're looking at something that's proposed in an initiative, before you go complaining about what is proposed in that initiative, it would be a good idea to find out what the state law is right now. So what is the state law right now for possessing over an ounce of marijuana? Well, according to normal.org, you can find this at normal.org slash laws slash CA. According to normal.org, possession of 28.5 grams or more, more than 28.5 grams, is currently a misdemeanor with six months in jail and a $500 fine. So it doesn't make much sense to say that the Adult Use of Marijuana Act is prescribing a $500 fine and six months in jail for growing more than an ounce when that's the law right now. It's just not changing that law. It's not making things any worse and, in fact, makes things better by legalizing under an ounce and taking away the probable cause tools that cops have to bust you for having more than an ounce. And as far as cultivation, complaining that it's going to be a $500 fine, six-month misdemeanor for growing more than six plants at home, ignores the fact that right now in California, cultivation of any marijuana plants, any marijuana plants, is a felony with 16 months to three years. So the Adult Use of Marijuana Act is actually reducing that penalty when it comes to marijuana cultivation. So you can look this up. I've got the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. It's new amendments up online at my short link. Go to rad-r.us slash, and the rest is in capital letters, C-A-A-U-M-A-2, the number two. So it's rad-r.us slash, capital letters, C-A-A-U-M-A-2. And you can get all of the updates to the Sean Parker initiative. Uh, Folks, it's as good a legalization as you see in any of the other four states that currently have marijuana legalization. And in a lot of ways, it makes it better. It allows for deliveries of marijuana. It allows for the possibility of licensed pot lounges for people to be able to consume some things that have yet to be introduced in Oregon, Washington, and Colorado. The Adult Use of Marijuana Act, for any of its perceived flaws, has one strength that, in my opinion, trumps them all. And that is it's got money and it's got support. It's got money and it's got support. It can actually make the ballot and it's conservative enough that it can actually pass. Too many people in the marijuana movement want California to have the perfect hippy-dippy true legalization and forget that large swaths of the state are dominated by conservative thinkers. Marijuana legalization has to be aimed at the average middle-class African-American working woman. 
If you can sell it to her, then it's a legalization that's going to pass. Folks, that's all the time we got for Hour 1, but stay tuned for Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio. Phone lines are open at 971-533-7111, and we've got a new story to add that we just picked up in the past hour. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, Tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smoother. Now it's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can tow. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon, at Rolla J Studios. Freedom! Freedom! Hey, this is great! Freedom. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the animal man and Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and toquettes and non-token lovers of liberty. Welcome back to the show. It's hour two, where we loosen our tie and let let down what's left of our hair. Having a good day today, folks. Uh, got up early. I was a uh, guest on Who's the Ross, which is Portland's king of late night, a live late night comedy show that happens every Tuesday night at uh, Dante's, a bar downtown. And I'll be there tonight. I'll be there downtown at Dante's tonight doing the show. But he also did a very rare noon episode that was part of Portland State University's Live at Lunch series. So he got to host his late-night comedy talk show in the Portland State University Student Union. And I got to say, it was a weird room. (laughs) It was a weird situation because... His antics work great in a bar full of drunks, but we're talking a a student union full of caffeinated college kids. So it was really weird, but I got to appear and uh, talk a little bit about marijuana, what's happening in Portland and uh, what's happening around the the nation. We also played a a game that he calls weed it out. And the, the game is he has eight 
strain names that are either real or made up. And I have to guess which ones are the real ones and which are the are made up. And I missed two this time. I, I've only missed one once before, but I missed two this time. I did not know that Smelliot was a strain. And I did not know that Fago Red Pop was a, was a strain. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's really not fair because there's so many strains out there. How could I possibly know them all? But anyway, if you're out and about tonight in downtown Portland, come on by to Dante's at, at uh, West Burnside and 3rd Avenue. We'll be there at 10 o'clock Pacific time tonight. I might periscope some of it for you, too. I'll charge the phone up. So follow me at Radical Russ on Periscope and Twitter if you'd like to find out more. Looking to the political news, uh, I was asked at the Aaron Ross show uh, if I was a Sanders backer, and indeed I am. In fact, I'm contributing $25 monthly to Bernie Sanders' campaign, and we are so excited here about how Bernie Sanders is surging. A new poll was released. New York Times CBS News poll finds nationally that 48% of Democratic primary voters across the country support Hillary Clinton. 41% support Bernie Sanders. So nationwide, he's down by just seven points. But keep in mind, just a month ago, Hillary Clinton was up by 20 points nationally. So she's dropped from a 20-point lead to a 7-point lead. And in even better news, two new polls are out from the early primary states of Iowa and New Hampshire. Survey of Quinnipiac from Quinnipiac University in Iowa. Well, Quinnipiac's not in Iowa. Forget where Quinnipiac's at. But anyway, they surveyed likely Democratic caucus goers in Iowa, found that 49% support Bernie Sanders, 44% support Hillary Clinton. He's got a five-point lead in Iowa when Hillary Clinton was up by 11 points previously. And then, of course, uh, Monmouth University on Tuesday released a poll for New Hampshire, and uh, he's he's been uh, in quite a lead in New Hampshire since he's from nearby Vermont. Bernie Sanders, 53%. Hillary Clinton, 39%. There you go. Bernie's got the lead in the first two primary states. He wins those. You watch his national numbers start to take Hillary Clinton over. And she replays her 2008 failure, losing once again to a largely unknown socialist senator with a funny name that starts with a B. I called it. We're back. This this. is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement. He went to public schools, then college, where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq war, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges. People are sick and tired of establishment politics, and they want real change. 
Bernie Sanders. Husband, father, grandfather, an honest leader building a movement with you to give us a future to believe in. I'm Bernie Sanders and I approve this message. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> More flavor. This is the Russ Belleville Show, annoying Kevin Sabat since 2012. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your Cannabis 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPAs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. I just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Nine and a half after the hour. And today, I want to take a look once again at the justice system and how it railroads and wrongfully convicts people, most often poor people, disaffected people, dis- disenfranchised, impotent classes. It's never the rich guys. It's always, uh, it's always us poor folks. A lot of people have been thinking of this as of late because of Netflix's entirely, in- incredibly uh, impactful series, called Making a Murderer. And in that series, it describes uh, the story, in the first episode, describes the story of Stephen Avery, a man who was wrongfully convicted of a rape. He was convicted of a rape and ended up serving 18 years in prison before uh, DNA testing technology increased to the point where it exonerated him. There's no way he committed the rape. Now, eight years into him serving his time, there were some cops that got a tip that another guy, a convicted uh, rapist, had actually committed the crime. But they kind of sat on that information. And Stephen Avery ended up doing another 10 years before uh, anybody acted on his case. So a lot of people have been pointing to this case and looking at all the shenanigans in the prosecution of Stephen Avery uh, the first time around. And, and indeed, in the second time around for his murder trial. 
uh, of how the cops and the prosecutors and the investigators colluded and suppressed and and just basically, you know, uh, talked a, a young man into a confession against Stephen Avery, just all sorts of shenanigans. And it's kind of shocked America. And I, I wrote a piece for High Time said, look, if you're shocked by this, you haven't been paying attention to the drug war. This kind of stuff happens in the drug war all the time. But the latest thing that's got my focus on this is not one guy convicted and wrongfully serving 18 years in prison, but four. This is a story that Newsweek has put out today. Josh Saul wrote the story, The Fairbanks Four's Brutal Fight for Freedom. And this is a case uh, that goes back to 1997, a cold October night in Fairbanks, Alaska. And it involved a man named, well, not a man, a boy named John Hartman, age 15, who was beaten to death outside of a wedding reception. Now, after the police find this man beaten to death, they pick up a guy named Eugene Vent, and he is interrogated. He's, he's drunk and hungover, and he's interrogated. He's 17 years old. He's interrogated by the cops who eventually lead him into a confession that named himself and three other teammates from their high, from his high school basketball team. So the teammates, Kevin Pease, George Freeze, and then Eugene Vent and Marvin Roberts, these four young men were charged with murder when Hartman died the next day at the Fairbanks Memorial Hospital. Now, the four of them, three of them are Alaska natives and one is a Native American. And they all agreed while they were in the Fairbanks jail, they agreed that they would not ever sign a plea deal or plead guilty because they knew they were all innocent. None of these four were anywhere around where this guy got murdered. A woman who heard a cry for help testified that she saw or that she heard one of the attackers speaking with a distinctive native accent. And another man testified as an eyewitness that he saw the four of them attack a man on the night that Hartman was killed, even though the man who testified was drunk, high, and 450 feet away at the time, one and a half football fields away <laughs> at night in Fairbanks, Alaska. He could, he could make out four men beating up the other man. And uh, one of the defendants, Roberts, uh, of course, was angry about being locked up and said, quote, they fabricated it to make it look how they wanted it to look, end quote. They were convicted of murder in 1999, all four of them, and sentenced to prison. So uh, Native leaders uh, told the Fairbanks Daily News Miner that they were railroaded and that the Natives never get a fair shot from cops and courts in Alaska. And of course, there's a lot of racial tension involved in this case, too, as there are three Native uh, Alaskans, one Native American, and the young man who was killed, the 15-year-old who was killed, was white. So they filed appeals. All their appeals were rejected in court. But then there was new evidence. The star government witness recanted his testimony and said the police coerced him into the testimony. 
And in 2012, a convicted killer confessed he was there when he and his friend beat Hartman to death. A state judge heard the new evidence, had a a five-week hearing. The men knew that they'd get a good chance to be exonerated. But here's where the shenanigans kick in. The judge was going to take up to six months to issue his ruling that would overturn their convictions. Six months. Now, remember, these guys have been in prison since 1999, except one of them, Roberts, had been paroled for six months before the hearing. Okay, So all four of them do time since 1999. One of them gets out on parole. And then six months later, there's this new hearing. There's this new evidence, this new hearing. But the judge isn't going to rule on that for another six months. So the state offered them a deal that would overturn their convictions and free them instantly if they signed away their right to sue the state and withdraw their claims of prosecutorial misconduct. Now, think about Roberts. He's out. He's on parole. He's out of prison. He can actually start suing for the wrongful imprisonment, start suing for everything that happened to him, the prosecutorial misconduct. But the deal that the state gave them was an all or nothing deal. All four of them had to sign it or it was no good for any of them. So the other three are still in prison and have been there since 1999. And they're offered a deal that would get them out today in exchange for them giving up their right to sue. Imagine being the one guy who's out, who's got the right to sue. He's out of jail. He could start the lawsuit. But if he does, he's condemning the other three to another another six months in prison. Now, some people responding to this story have said, well, you already did 17 years or so. Why not? What's another six months? But keep in mind, that's, that's still hoping that the judge rules your way. And you never know because the uh, prosecutors kept are, are still attacking the uh, the case. They're saying that the uh, the re- the guy who recanted his testimony is only doing it because he's uh, been called a snitch in prison and he's trying to get out of that. They're also trying to undermine the confession of that convicted murderer. Now he's serving two states, uh, two life sentences in San Diego in a San Diego prison, but he's the one who said he and his friends were cruising around Fairbanks looking for someone to attack that night. But the uh, the state wants to get that thrown out because he says he has no direct knowledge on the attack because he didn't actually participate in the attack. He was driving his friends around who did the attack. So you're sitting there in prison, wrongfully convicted. You got a chance to go free. Or take the chance that some more shenanigans happen and in six months you're just told you've got to stay in that prison cell. They took the deal. They took the deal. And now the state has to, has no, uh, uh, there's no accountability. The Alaska Department of Law put out a statement saying, quote, this is not an exoneration. In this settlement, the four defendants agreed they were properly and validly investigated, prosecuted, and convicted. So 
if you were upset about the making of murderer convictions and a man wrongfully imprisoned for all those years, at least understand that when Stephen Avery got out, he started a $36 million lawsuit against the state that legal experts said he would likely win. Those men who gave up 17, 18 years, just like Stephen Avery, convicted as a very young man. These guys were 17, 18, 19. And giving up those years of their youth, now put in this impossible situation to reject the one chance at holding the state accountable that exists, their right to a civil lawsuit. And yet we have a system that coerces these guys to give up that right because they could keep them in jail for another six months for something they were going to be exonerated of. It's no wonder people are losing faith in our justice system. Sorry we put you in prison incorrectly for 18 years. If you want to get out, you have to promise not to sue us or say we did anything wrong. What kind of justice is that? Get.buzz. .buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. .buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. .buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. .buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at get.buzz. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. A public service message from CannabisRadio.com and the Russ Belleville Show. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norman. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORML. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. (coughs) Or at least they pay me to say that. 
This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. 23 after the hour. Reminding you that we've got the new lineup here on CannabisRadio.com. All sorts of great stuff. Tommy Chong's show will be joining us shortly. Also got Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, and Vivian McPee. Plus Dr. Mitch Earlywine and his podcast, Burning Issues. Check out the entire lineup on demand at CannabisRadio.com or just listen live through our Spreaker app and uh, you can hear all sorts of great stuff. Also, speaking of great stuff, another great show coming up at 5 o'clock, rare on a Tuesday. We don't usually hear from Stoner Jesus on a Tuesday, but we will get to hear from Stoner Jesus. That's right. Coming up next, 5 o'clock Pacific Time, Stoner Jesus. Not safe for work, but definitely funny as hell. So check that out coming up in just 20 or 36 minutes, I should say. So uh, we were talking earlier about the California Adult Use of Marijuana Act and how some people are complaining about it because of its restriction on advertising. No cartoon characters, nothing that appeals to kids, yada, yada, yada. And it reminds me of this commercial that we have here in Portland. Actually, it's all throughout the state of Oregon. We have uh, a smokefreeoregon.org, right? Smoke Free Oregon. And they put out these public service ads. And one of them is this public service ad where they've got all these flavored tobacco products, right? Like your grape blunt wraps and your, you know, strawberry cigarillos and Swisher Sweets and all those kind of things. The stuff you usually see at a convenience store. They got a table full of this stuff. And then they got like these kids, like five, six, seven-year-old, eight-year-old kids. Maybe not even that old, not eight, but, you know, young kids around the table. And you got the you, you got the evil voice. We took these tobacco products and showed them to young children. This is what they thought. And then you got all the kids going, oh, it smells like grape. Oh, it's pretty. Oh, it looks like this. It looks like candy. Oh. And, of course, this is meant to scare the hell out of everyone. Lead up to a moral panic. Oh, my God. We're marketing tobacco to kids. Who do you think they're marketing this to? And of course, they can point to all of the tobacco industry lawsuit and the memos that were uncovered talking about we need to, you know, have younger smokers. And and I, I appreciate that part of the argument. I I certainly could go for having these sorts of products behind the counter, you know, and of course, we're checking kids ID for them. Supposed to be checking the ID form, right? But I understand the argument that these kind of things are meant to entice a younger smoker because, frankly, you get over the age of 21 and you haven't smoked a cigarette, you're not likely to. There's not enough peer pressure in the world to make you think, oh, this sucks, you know, to think that this is cool, right? So, yeah, I understand that argument, but I'm disturbed by it as well. And what disturbs me about this argument is this notion that adults don't like flavors, what is the, like, everything sold to adult has to be flavorless and colorless. Everything need to be sold in, if it's a sin product, we need to sell it in a black and white label. You know, like the old, remember generic beer, white can, black label, beer, right? <laughs> is that the way, is that where we're going? Because that's the argument being made about these flavored tobaccos, these flavored cigarettes, these cigarillos, and so on. And that argument, of course, gets used against marijuana all the time. 
Oh, you're making medicated gummy bears and cookies and candies. Obviously, you're marketing to the children. No, we're not. You can't even walk in the store as a kid to see this product. Meanwhile, you go to any grocery store, check out the cereal aisle at a grocery store sometime. Especially get down on your knees, check it out at kid level. Check out what's being sold to the kids in the grocery stores. Get yourself down on your knees in a grocery store and look at what is at eye level for kids. And you'll find a nonstop parade of cartoon characters and colors to sell tricks and Fruit Loops. And well, that shows you how old school I am, right? Tricks and Fruit Loops are, are damn near nutritious compared to what's being sold now they've they've actually got cookie crisp cereal i know this isn't anything new right it's been around since i was young i think but cookie crisp cereal cookies as healthy cereal breakfast thing cookies and there's others that have you know actual they just go ahead right out and put chunks of chocolate right in the the cereal and this is what's at eye level for kids and nobody seems to be up in arms about the cartoon characters and the colors and the flavors enticing kids into what is an unhealthy eating lifestyle and what we can show through statistics and morbidity as far as what's going on with obesity in this country, especially among our youth. I just want some consistency in this. If we're really upset about the use of cartoons and flavoring and cart and, and, and colors to market unhealthy things to kids, let's be consistent. Let's be consistent about it. Just picking on the pot and picking on the tobacco. And now they 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 pulled back on the liquor ads, right? Used to have your Budweiser Frogs. Used to have your Spuds McKenzie, right? That comes back from my day again, back in the eighties, which was also seen as appealing to kids. How about just not allowing any? marketing of that stuff whatsoever right let's just put them all in brown paper bags any cigarettes marijuana alcohol or sugared snacks they all have to they all are going to have to be you know put in brown paper bags because we we wouldn't want to be advertising to the kids why for that matter why is anything advertised to the children I'm not even talking just, you know, products like, you know, smokes and and booze. Why is anything advertised to kids? To force their parents to buy it for them. Yeah, I know why. But I mean, why do we allow that, right? Don't we don't we have this thing in in this country where you have to be 18 before you're of the legal age to make important decisions like that? I but we can we can pump your brain full of corporate marketing advertising so that more kids know what the golden arches are than know what their own state flag looks like. It, it's you know it's the consistency part that bothers me, man. If we're gonna if we're gonna be uptight about advertising to kids, I can understand those arguments. Even though I don't have kids, I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit of my liberty for the children. But you got to be consistent about it. We can't just have just picking on the ones that we really, really hate. Oh, we really, really hate the tobacco. Can't market that to the kids. Well, we really, really hate the pot. Can't market that to the kids. 
All right, let me uh, get back to some pot talk here. It's a story out of Utah about um, a woman with a rare painful disease. She's got Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and her name is Enadina Stanger. And she's got this Ehlers-Danlos Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. It's a fatal genetic tissue disorder. It's just painful as hell. She's in Utah. They're in South Weber, Utah, shopping. She stayed behind in the parking lot so that she could light up a joint to deal with her pain in Utah. And uh, she rolls down the window of her van to let out the smoke. Somebody smells the smoke. They call the police. They claim she's smoking in front of her daughters. So this young woman, 27, mother of two young kids, was booked and released from the Weber County Jail and charged with third-degree felony child endangerment. Oh, and misdemeanor possession of a controlled substance. And I can tell you from experience, the misdemeanor uh, controlled substance possession uh, can cost you up to $1,200 in Utah. Now, a judge dropped the felony charge of the felony child endangerment and gave her probation instead of a jail time. But... uh, She's 27 and had to been scared to death, you know, getting the felony charge. And that stuff makes the paper. So, you know, people around her probably knew she got the felony child endangerment child charge. And here's the real stinger in this. She's on probation, right? She got probation rather than jail time. Her probation prohibits drug use around minors. They just recently moved to Colorado because, you know, they were in Utah using medical marijuana. Screw that. Let's go to Colorado. But she can't use her marijuana around the kids, around her house, even in Colorado where marijuana is perfectly legal. And to add insult to injury, her two kids Elena and Eva, age four and age three, respectively, have also been diagnosed with this syndrome. Both of them have dislocated their ankles and wrists several times. One of the problems with uh, Ehlers-Danlos is it you have loose uh, uh, tendons, right? And so you can it's easy to dislocate your, your joints. You become overly flexible. And they have fragile skin. So, uh, Enadina is trying to get cannabis legal back in Utah so that her family can move back home. Uh, on Wednesday, she'll appear at a press conference. That was tomorrow. She'll be at a press conference in Salt Lake City with Mark Madsen, the Republican state representative who's sponsoring a bill to legalize whole plant medical marijuana, not just the, the, uh, CBD only. And, um, she is one of many who have fled Utah and other states. We call them uh, the uh, medical refugees or people on the under green railroad. She says that she truly believed marijuana saved her life. And interestingly, interestingly enough, one thing people know about Utah, of course, is it's the home of the Mormon church the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, of which I was a baptized member, and they still send me Christmas cards. 
the Mormon church is actually pretty cool with this stuff. Uh, according to the husband, uh, everyone in our congregation was supportive because they knew she was using it for medicine, not to get high. And Adina is using this for the purpose God intended. So even in Utah, people can recognize that medical marijuana is a legitimate treatment. And, you know, considering it's on page one of the old Testament, <laughs> Genesis one twenty nine. Uh, you, you should think more religious people would be for this. And it was tough for her because she said that it was someone she knew who reported her to the cops. And she had to take a parenting course. She's still on probation. Had to move four hours away from her hometown just to be able to use this miracle healing plant. Fight goes on in Utah, in Idaho, in all sorts of states. And we'll be here to report on all of it. And hopefully we'll visit you sometime this year as part of the Legalize America Tour. Follow at Canna Radio and at Radical Rust for more details as they become available. When we come back, we're going to talk about David Bowie and cannabis Space Oddity to the Rochester Raids after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Fingerboard Extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic, Hassan Dalton, Larrabee, Heritage and Recording King guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone, and Recording King banjos. The Fingerboard Extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis, Oregon, at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Carson doesn't believe in the Geneva Convention. Okay, maybe you're high too. This is Cannabis Facts from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. Supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. In 1937, the second most prescribed medicine, marijuana, was banned. It wasn't about marijuana. The paper, oil, and chemical industries lobbied to end hemp farming. No longer labor-intensive, an acre of hemp produced more quality paper than four acres of trees. Plastics and fibers could be produced from a plant. Hemp can even produce 10 times the energy of today's ethanol. As marijuana prohibition ends, many states now allow farmers to again grow hemp. This was Cannabis Facts from the Silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to process America's hemp crop at hempinc.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. 
find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. 39 after the hour, reminding you at the top of the hour, Stoner Jesus is in, coming down from Stoner Heaven for you, spreading the loaves and fishes and, and the buds supreme. Oh, I love the Stoner Jesus. So check that out. Coming up top of the hour here on CannabisRadio.com. Of course, I missed out on talking to you guys yesterday. Um, I'm doing a whole lot of computer switching and work here at uh, Rolla J Studios because I'm having to separate the Russ Belleville show from 420 Radio. So I had to move 420 Radio over to a couple of other computers and on the computer I had been doing 420 radio on, I had to make a bunch of changes and I just was not able to get them all done in time to do a show yesterday. So I apologize for that, especially because yesterday the news broke of Sunday's passing of David Bowie. And what a shame. Uh, David Bowie passed away from cancer two days after his birthday at the age of 69 following the recent death of Lemmy Kilmister from Motorhead, who passed away two days after his birthday at the age of 70 from cancer. It's kind of strange. You know, these things supposedly happen in threes, so don't know who's up next. But when the news broke of David Bowie's death, the first thing I thought of was that amazing cover of Space Oddity, that Chris Hatfield, that Canadian astronaut, did up on the International Space Station. Ground control to Major Tom. You know the song, right? Amazing video. If you haven't seen that, it's got over 27 million views, and he's in the space station floating around in space singing Space Oddity. It's just beautiful. It's the first music video in space, and it's a fitting tribute to David Bowie that his lyrics are the first video ever sung in space. But speaking of that song... Space Oddity. Did you know that cannabis and a sexy older woman helped create that first hit for David Bowie? Back in the mid-1960s, he was a struggling folk singer named Davy Jones, and he could not break into the music biz. He was being confused with another Brit, Davy Jones of the Monkees, so he changed his name in 1965 to David Bowie, and in 1967 released a David Bowie album that went nowhere. So two years later, in April of 1969, there's this 30-year-old single mother of two. Her name's Mary Finnegan, and she's outside of her flat when she hears, this is Major Tom to ground control, being sung from an apartment up above hers. Mary shouts up at the music to ask who's playing, and then 23-year-old David Bowie pops his head out, and uh, out of the window and says, hello, I'm David. And uh, he had been visiting a friend there who'd lived in that apartment above hers and was practicing, you know, his work on space oddity. So he says, hello, I'm David. And she responds, 
Would you like to come downstairs for a cup of tea and some tincture of cannabis? <laughs> They're so polite in Britain, right? So he came down for tea and tincture of cannabis, and that began a six-month relationship between Mary Finnegan and David Bowie. Eventually, Bowie ends up moving into Mary's apartment. Now, Mary, she's 30, single mom of two. Her two kids, Caroline and Richard, loved Space Oddity. Caroline said, it should go to number one. I hope it does because I'll be able to impress my school friends. End quote. And of course, Space Oddity did go to number one. It became David Bowie's first number one single on the UK pop charts. In her memoirs, Mary Finnegan tells how she and Bowie often shared cannabis and quality hashish. However, Mary wasn't ready to share the same sexual proclivities of David Bowie, who was involved with another woman, Angie Barrett, who he actually moved into Mary Finnegan's home and who later became the first Mrs. David Bowie. And he was involved with a Chinese-American man named Calvin Mark Lee. And he was involved with another woman whose name was Lindsay Kemp. <laughs> so, you know, it was it was the 70s, folks. Now, fast forward to the next decade. It's March 22, 1976, and David Bowie is set to play a gig in Rochester, New York. At about 2.25 a.m., the Rochester Vice Police arrest Bowie and Stooges frontman Iggy Pop, among others, and charge them all with possession of 182 grams. That's about four-tenths of a pound of marijuana. So they post their bond, and David Bowie and Iggy Pop make their way out of town to other concerts already on the schedule. Four days later, March 26th, David Bowie, who was charged as his real name, David Jones, pleads not guilty, sir, to the city court. The judge then sets up a date for a preliminary hearing on April 20th, 1976. That's right, 4.20 was David Bowie's preliminary hearing in Rochester, New York for possession of marijuana. And if convicted for 182 grams, he could have faced 15 years in prison. Now, when the media asked whether his arrest would affect any plans Bowie might have to return to Rochester again, Bowie says, quote, certainly not, absolutely not. End quote. Well, David Bowie lied because he never did return to Rochester, neither for a hearing because the grand jury refused to indict him, nor for a concert because he never played Rochester again. Marijuana also had an impact on David Bowie's life tangentially as recently as 2013. Uh, his daughter-in-law a 33-year-old photographer named Nadine, married to his only son, Duncan Jones, uh, develops breast cancer. And in the British papers, documented how she used a cannabis tincture. Remember how Mary Finnegan offered a cannabis tincture to David Bowie in 1969? She used the tincture to help fight the effects of chemotherapy. So marijuana, it's the only drug that fights cancer and helps create the greatest music of all time, so long as its users aren't imprisoned for 15 years for possessing it. If Bowie had been convicted in Rochester in 1976, he could have been sitting in a New York prison instead of recording his 1983 comeback album, Let's Dance, which, by the way, also launched the career of the incredible Texas blues guitarist Stevie Ray Vaughan. 
it makes you wonder how many other great musical careers we lost out on because of marijuana prohibition. And yes, for those of you music buffs out there, if you didn't know, Stevie Ray Vaughan plays guitar on most of the tracks on the Let's Dance album. Uh, some people who are Bowie fans don't really like the Let's Dance period. For me, it's my favorite David Bowie music. That, you know, I was a little too young for the whole young American Ziggy Stardust, Thin White Duke era. 83, that's my sophomore year in high school. And Let's Dance was all over MTV. And China Girl was all over MTV. And I didn't find out till later that it was Stevie Ray Vaughan playing guitar on those tracks. Folks, go get on YouTube. Go find Let's Dance. Go find China Girl. Listen to the end of those tracks as it's going out on the guitar solos. And you'll go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's Stevie Ray Vaughan. No doubt about it. It's funny, though. uh, Stevie Ray was discovered by David Bowie playing in Austin, Texas. And Bowie said at the time that he'd never been so impressed by any guitar player since Jeff Beck and the Tridents. The who? That's right. The Tridents. The band Jeff Beck was in before the Yardbirds. That's how far back Bowie had to go in his memory to be as impressed by guitar players when he saw Stevie Ray Vaughan. And he signed Stevie Ray on to do that album. And he was also going to be a part of the tour for the Let's Dance album. But it all fell apart because, number one, uh, they wouldn't let Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble, his band, work as the opening act. And and Stevie Ray kind of thought that's what the deal was, is his band would be the opening act. And then he'd, you know, do the rest of the show with Bowie. No, that wasn't the case. And Bowie's management wanted Stevie Ray to drop his whole poncho cowboy hat look and uh, switch to the kind of the white suit look that Bowie was going to have on stage and all the other musicians would have on stage. And (laughs) Stevie Ray's management knew better than to even ask him to want to do that. And so uh, Stevie Ray never did tour with Bowie, just played on the Let's Dance album. So rest in peace to David Bowie. And uh, if you haven't seen the mugshot from his Rochester bust, head out to marijuanapolitics.com. Uh, this piece is written up on marijuanapolitics.com and the editors went and added the mugshot photo. It's the classiest damn mugshot photo you have ever seen. It's just, it is the anti Nick Nolte mugshot photo. It's really amazing. If you get a chance to see this, head out to marijuanapolitics.com. Great stuff on that. Also, uh, my rant today is available up on Hightimes.com. My articles there appear every Tuesday and Friday. Marijuana politics is every weekday and cannabis culture just about every week. It's almost, it's been about every other week lately because I've been really busy. We're moving uh, here out of Rolla J Studios. So I got to find a new place to set up all the studio stuff. And it's really got me behind the eight ball. I've I've been quite busy lately. All right, folks, we're going to take a break and we'll come back, wrap the show up. And uh, don't forget that uh, Stoner Jesus is on in just 10 minutes here, live on CannabisRadio.com. You'll have a lot of fun listening to Stoner Jesus, the funniest deity on Cannabis Radio, by far. Stay tuned for later in the week as well. On Thursday, we'll have our guest from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, 
in our Cops Say Legalized Drug segment. Oh, also, congratulations to Herb Thrasher and the Alabama Crimson Tide for their fourth national championship in seven years. Roll Tide! This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. You know Herb Thrasher from the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Now get ready for Herb Age Designs for the proud cannabis consumer. Herb Age Designs, lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herb Age Designs, we've got frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herb Age Designs, we've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at HerbAgeDesigns.com. And follow Herb Age and Herb Thrasher on Twitter. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I said, on this program, what do they want? My grandchildren and the monster. Oh, did I scare you? Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norman. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORMAL. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. Hello, Mr. Man. Hi. I'm doing... I'm, I'm working. I'm sorry. No food till this is done. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. 53 after the hour. Remember, later tonight, I will be at Dante's in downtown Portland, 3rd and West Burnside, 10 o'clock p.m. for Who's the Ross? Aaron Ross, Portland's king of late-night comedy. I'll be there talking about weed. Also coming up in about four minutes, Stoner Jesus, about six minutes, I should say. Stoner Jesus is on the air here on CannabisRadio.com. Stay tuned for that. And, of course, a big shout out to our friend Herb Thrasher. The Alabama Crimson Tide won the national championship in college football last night. Four teams ended up with only one loss on their record. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Houston. And one team finished with zero wins this year in college football. Zero wins. The University of Central Florida Knights. I love my kids at UCF. So sorry your football team sucked this year. So happy for Herb Thrasher, fourth national championship in seven years, pretty dominating uh, decade for Alabama and the Crimson Tide. 
And a really exciting game. It was fun to watch that one. Also, uh, big thanks to the Green Bay Packers for winning their game and boosting my spirits. All four of the wildcard road teams won for the first time in NFL playoff history. Here's hoping that the Packers can win their game in Arizona, the Seahawks can win their game in Carolina, and the NFC Championship is Seattle at Green Bay. There, That would be the revenge NFC Championship game for all time. Looking forward to that. But folks, that's about all the time we got here because we got to get out a little bit early so Stoner Jesus can take the reins here at CannabisRadio.com. So thanks for joining us. Remember, you can follow me on all social media at Radical Russ. If it's a thing that you can follow, I'm on it as Radical Russ. <laughs> That's, I don't even want to name them all anymore. You can also email me, RadicalRuss at gmail.com, because like I said, if it's online and you can communicate on it, I'm Radical Russ. And in fact, if you can find somewhere out there where there's a Radical Russ that's not me, please tell me so I can find them and sue them. <laughs> I don't know if I can sue him yet. I think there's a trademark in there somewhere. Anyway, have yourselves a great time, folks. Thanks for joining us. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com and Rolla J Studios in beautiful, legal Potland, Oregon, I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey!